What a wonderful promise. The Lord says, I will never, never forsake the soul who leans on him. Well, we lean on the Lord and we lean on the Lord as we turn now to his word. Let us hear the word of God. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to verse 35, page 1011 in our church Bibles. We are in the ministry of the Lord Jesus in a very busy period of ministry. It was ever busy with him. And uh, he has been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. And we join the narrative in verse 13 of chapter 3. And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that house, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And Jesus' mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside 
seeking you? And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so we are looking this morning as we continue through Mark's gospel in uh, big strides of about two chapters a week. We're looking at the big themes of Mark, at least the themes that it seems are very pressing and important for us today. And we are focusing our attention every week, especially on what Mark's gospel is all about, which is, of course, the person, the work, and the glory of Jesus Christ himself. But today the spotlight falls on one particular theme. And I've already alluded to this theme several times this morning, and we've sung about it and prayed about it and mentioned it. It's the theme of the family. The family. And this is the big question this morning that I want you to think about and try and answer. Who belongs to Jesus' family? And on the heels of that question comes another pressing question for you. Do you belong to the family of Jesus? And all throughout, the point I want to make is this. There is nothing more important for you than that you should answer that question and say, yes, by the grace and love and adoption of God, I do belong to the family of Jesus. And I'm glad I belong to the family of Jesus. I want to belong to the family of Jesus and know what that means. Let me start by just saying a few very important things about families. This is a huge subject that could occupy another sermon at least, so I will, I will abbreviate, but I will just say this. The family is the basic essential building block of all human society, right? God has ordered the human society and has made the family the essential building block of society. Not the state, not the government, not the school, not the workplace, not the law courts, not the individual, and not even the church. But in the beginning, the family. And when I say the family, I mean what is often called the, the nuclear family. Mum and dad and children that are given. That family, that is the basic building block of human society. 
And we should just note briefly that there have always been and are now forces in human society that try to break families apart. In societies that we might call totalitarian, wherever they have been, where the state has absolute power or tries to exercise absolute power, the state will try to assume the responsibilities of the family. We should give thanks to God that in recent days a ruling in Scotland has put an end to the so-called named person scheme in which an individual outside a family would have rights and authority that rightly belong only to the parent or parents in that family. The word of God upholds the importance, the centrality, and the sanctity of the family. Put it briefly, families matter to God. And Jesus had a family, a biological family. And here in Mark's Gospel, we learn later on that Jesus had four brothers, James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and at least two sisters, maybe more than two sisters, whose names we don't know. And of course, he had a mother, Mary. And Mary's husband, Joseph, was as a father to Jesus. He seems to have died by the time we reach this passage. But have you noticed this? When you look at this chapter, Mark chapter 3, and indeed later on Mark chapter 6, we see that the family of Jesus is not all that we might expect. What's going on? Where are they all? His mother and his brothers are standing outside the house at a distance, wanting to see Jesus, almost summoning him through the crowd, but they're outside the house. Jesus, by contrast, is inside the house. And around him are a great crowd of people sitting with him and listening to him. We might go so far as to say that Jesus' family was mildly dysfunctional. Why do I say that? Well, if you go back to chapter 3 and verse 21, you see what they're saying about him. His family, presumably his brothers, they're saying of Jesus, he is out of his mind. James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, Mary, I don't know. But these folk were saying about Jesus, he is out of his mind. Jesus may not have come from a broken family, but he came from a family where there were very great tensions and even divisions. The words of Psalm 69 and verse 8 could have been on the lips of Jesus. That verse says this, I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. They're fulfilled in Jesus. He was a stranger to his own family, like many people are today, like maybe some of you are today, a stranger to your own kith and kin. But the great lesson of today's passage is this. Jesus calls his followers into a greater, better family than the family of physical kinship. 
without that physical family in any way being denigrated. Families still matter. But there's a, there's a message here which says, yes, but there is a greater family that we're called to belong to. Verse 35 is our verse today. I'll read it again. For whoever does the will of God, he is, says Jesus, my brother and sister and mother. And I want to take that verse, just as it is, in three unequal sized sections as far as the words are concerned. I want to begin with the word whoever. Whoever, whoever. And this word whoever speaks of inclusion. Of full, wide, entire, comprehensive inclusion. At this stage of things, Jesus is ticking all the right boxes in today's society. Jesus is big on inclusion, and Jesus is big on diversity. He loves diversity. He includes people of every and any kind, regardless of the circumstances of their birth, or their background, or their ethnicity, or their culture, or their occupation, or their ability, or their wealth, or their personality, and a whole host of other factors. Now, I'm going to try a little exercise with you now, and see where we go with this one. I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to tell you about a Christian I know, a made-up Christian. But I know this Christian, even though this is a made-up Christian. And I want you to picture this Christian in your mind as I describe this Christian to you. Joe is a Christian. Joe is a Christian. Can you see Joe? Can you picture Joe? Who is Joe? What does Joe look like? What does Joe do? How does Joe talk? What does Joe wear? I'm going to imagine I heard someone say to me, Joe is a Christian. This is what I would think, possibly. I might think Joe is male. No, actually, Joe is female. Okay, Joe's a female Christian. I, I assume she's perhaps in her 20s. No, she's, she's actually in her late 70s. Joe's obviously British-born then, isn't she? Name like Joe. No, actually, Joe was born in Dubai. Well, I imagine Joe comes from a very wealthy background, being born in Dubai. No, actually, Joe is from a very, very ordinary background. Well, I, I think Joe to live in Dubai and be that age must be a very confident, articulate person. Actually, Joe is painfully shy. What does Joe enjoy? She probably knows nothing about sport. Doesn't like sport at all, does she? Late 70s, shy person, humble background, likes sport. She is an avid follower of Sheffield Wednesday. She follows them. She watches them every Saturday on Sky Sports. She knows all about Sheffield Wednesday. You heard of Sheffield Wednesday? They're just a randomly selected, reasonably well-known football team. I might think Joe doesn't read very much. She's actually very, very well-read. 
Now, the details don't matter. I could have gone, you know, from there to there or from there to there, as it were, and from there to there and there to there. It doesn't matter what the details are. But this is the main point. Joe is a Christian, and Jesus is not ashamed to call Joe his sister. Whatever the circumstances of her appearance, her work, her age, her abilities, her language, her color, and all these sorts of things. There is no such thing as a typical Christian in terms of these circumstances of life. And the church of Jesus Christ should reflect this. Sometimes people ask me this question. They say, you're a pastor, and they say, what kind of church are you trying to build? Or what, try, what kind of church are you trying to, uh, to attract? What kind of people are you wanting to bring to your church? And there is only one answer that I or anyone else can give to that question. What is the answer? It's right here in this text. It's whoever. Whoever. And we need that whoever today. We need it here. We need it in every local church. Someone said to me years ago, are you looking to draw Christians of a certain academic persuasion? I said, no, I'm not. It's nothing to do with me anyway. We're all servants of the Lord here. It's the Lord who builds the church. And he calls whoever. And how dare we say or think, well, we want people like her or people like him and we want old people or young people or middle-aged people or tall people or small people or whatever kind of people, people with glasses, people without glasses. That doesn't matter. Whoever. It's the spirit of the world. It's the spirit of the age that is increasingly becoming so, so, so clustered into little groups, little Little, little identities according to race and gender and orientation and culture and diets and views on the environment and, and politics. And, oh, this is my group. This is, this is my little group here. And maybe we should have a church made up of people like this. Well, no, Jesus says, no, never. Whoever must come, whoever. All sorts of people. Come, come to Jesus, whoever, all nations, all peoples, everywhere, high and low, rich and poor, hear the word of God, whoever. And, but then secondly, you see, we come to these words, whoever does the will of God. And do you see how these words speak of qualification who belongs to the family of Jesus that's the question who belongs to the family of Jesus whoever whoever does the will of God there have always been those in every age who have been what we might call universalists and they say things like this well the people of God the people who are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, the people that God loves, 
Well, that's, it's all people. Everywhere. No qualification. Everyone in the whole wide world, without exception, is brother, sister, and mother to Jesus Christ and to one another. And by saying that, it might sound incredibly generous and embracing to say it's every single human being without exception. But Jesus doesn't say that. You see, we have no right to address anybody as if they were a brother or sister or mother of ourselves or of the Lord Jesus himself. We have no right to pretend that we are of a more generous, accepting spirit than the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus, who is your brother? Who is your sister? Who is your mother? We ask him. He says, whoever, whoever. Oh, really? Whoever? Everyone? Everyone who does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And isn't it quite clear from this whole third chapter that there is the sharp differentiation and distinction drawn between those who are the family of Jesus and those who are not the family of Jesus. It's there from the beginning. Chapter 3 of Mark is like a big sort of club sandwich with layers in it. Layers of those who are the family of Jesus and layers of those who are clearly not. In the synagogue, there's a man with a withered hand who comes out and is healed by Jesus. And we are quite sure, gives thanks and praise to Jesus. He is a brother of Jesus. But in that same synagogue, there are the scribes uh, and the Herodians and the Pharisees. And they are tutting at a distance and they are horrified. And they think that they are part of the family of God. But they are no brothers of Jesus. And then later on, we have the apostles. The twelve disciples, they are to be with Jesus. They are his family. They are his brothers. And then we have briefly in verse 20 and 21, uh, this, this amazing scene that Jesus goes, home, home. What a powerful word home is. Home is where the heart is. Home is where the family is. Home is where the crowd gather and they want to hear him. Yes, he's with his family, but his family his biological family, where are they? Oh, they're organizing to seize him, to capture him, because they were saying, he's out of his mind. Are they his family? Are they his true kin? His brothers? Are they? No, they're not. I just noticed as I read, do you see the link between verse 21 and 22? His family are saying he's out of his mind. And then the scribes are saying he's possessed by the prince of demons. They're not really all that different, actually, are they? They're not really all that different. What they're saying, they regard Jesus as being alien and to be rejected. But there's a question we have to ask, isn't there? Really, really important question now. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Well, then, what does it mean to do the will of God? What does it mean to do the will of God? Does it mean, well, I just get up in the morning and I say, Lord, show me what your will is, and I wait and I pray and I find out in some answer to prayer and I go and do God's will? Is that what it means? 
is doing God's will simply that we try to keep his commandments. We keep the commandments as well as we can. We do the will of God. Now those things are true up to a point, but they're not what Jesus is really getting at here. Whenever you come to the word of God and you're not sure about what a particular verse means, there is a very important principle, isn't there? Many of you know this. I can put it simply. Context is king. Context is king. What is the context? What is with the text? What's before and after the text that we have here? And here we see what's going on. Jesus is with a crowd of people who are listening to him. Therefore, to do the will of God is to draw near to the Son of God. Jesus, to draw near in order to hear him, to believe him, to trust him, to obey him, and to be with him. To do the will of God is to follow the example of these who are around Jesus at this point. To hear the words of the Son of God. To listen to him humbly, eagerly. To take what he says into our hearts. That is doing the will of God. Those are the ones that Jesus calls his brothers and his sisters and his mothers. How else can we see that? Look at the context. What follows verse 35? Chapter 4. What's chapter 4 all about? How does it begin? It's the parable of the sower and the parable of the various soils of the sower. And what's that parable about? Well, you know, don't you, most of you? If you don't, I'll tell you. It's a parable about hearing the word of Christ and doing it. And it's here for a reason. You know, when Mark wrote his gospel, he didn't put a great big four at the front of the word again. He didn't write down, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother, space, space, four. There's no number four there. That was added centuries later. It carries on, you see. Who is those who do the will of God? They're those who hear the word of God. They pay attention to Jesus. Whoever... Yes, whoever is inclusive. It's absolutely inclusive. You can't look at any single person at their features, at their clothes, at their, at their height, at their size, at their birth certificate, at their qualifications, and say, oh, no, 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 not you, not you, not you. You can't do that. But it's whoever does the will of God. And comes to hear the word of Jesus. He or she is my brother, sister, mother. I want to come now to those very words themselves. My brother and sister and mother. And here Jesus speaks of intimate, intimate relationship. Whoever does the will of God. Whoever comes to Jesus, as we are today, right, coming to Jesus. That's why we've come. I'm not Jesus, but he's speaking to us through his word. And he's here with us now. He's present with us now, speaking. And as we hear that word, 
we are drawn to belong to his intimate, intimate family. Notice the words that Jesus uses. He says, brother, sister, mother. Notice that he doesn't say, aunt, cousin, great-grandmother, fourth cousin twice removed. He's not talking about distant relatives, but close relatives, the closest relatives, what we call first-degree relatives. He's talking household family relationships. He's saying, here's a child under the same roof as as his brother and his sister and his mother. We're talking about people that share the same table and share the same room or the same bedroom even and the same bathroom. And they drink from the same bottle of milk and they pour water out of the same tap and they use the same bathroom and all of these sorts of things. They know each other very well. They wash each other's clothes and hang them out to dry. That's what we're talking about here. There is a deep, intimate familiarity between them. We're not talking about some cousin, your cousin Jennifer or your cousin Marmaduke who you happen to see at family gatherings every five years or something like that. You know, oh, I think I remember you when we were children seven years ago. Oh, we're not talking about that. We're talking about close, intimate family gatherings. This is the point. If I come to know Jesus Christ, then I become to him an intimate companion of his And he lavishes his family, brotherly love on me. He loves me as a brother does. He is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I find with him the deepest, richest joy in that relationship. What a great savior he is. You might say, how can can a man have millions or billions of brothers? How can he spend time with them? How can he know them? How can he love them? I mean, I have one brother and one sister. I don't see much of them. Maybe you have more brothers and sisters. But how can this Jesus have all these brothers and sisters? Well, he's the son of God. And he loves his brothers and sisters with a divine and jealous love. Notice something else. Jesus does not say, whoever does the will of God is my half-sister, my stepbrother, and my mother-in-law. If you belong to Jesus, you are his forever, only and wholly his. You are not half in, half out. You do not have divided loyalties. You're you're not in some slightly shady or doubtful outer circle where you don't know if you belong or not because you were really in another family, but you're kind of one foot in and one foot out. No, no. I tell you this, says the Lord, whoever believes in me has already crossed from death to life. And this is also true. Whoever believes in Jesus has already entered the innermost family circle. No delay, no hesitation, no gradation, no levels, no inner circle, no outer circle. But you're in there. 
I like to think of Mephibosheth. Remember Mephibosheth? Maybe some of you haven't heard of Mephibosheth. Wonderful tongue-twisting name, isn't it? Mephibosheth. Who was he? Well, he was the lame, the crippled son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, who was the king that had tried to kill David. And David became king, but David determined to show love and mercy to this young cripple called Mephibosheth. Not so young. He had, had a young son. He was, he was an adult man by this time. But he could not walk, this man. At least could not walk without, without aid. And in those days, of course, no, no disability benefits. No hospitals like we know today. No, no wheelchairs, perhaps. Nothing like that. And this man would have been on the scrap heap of life. But this Mephibosheth, David the king, says, I will show him love and favor for the sake of Jonathan, whom I loved. I will love this young man. I will take him to be my own. And there's this wonderful picture where we read 1 Samuel chapter uh, 6, isn't it? And 2 Samuel chapter 6. And there we have Mephibosheth at the king's table. At the king's table. I remember a preacher saying years ago, you would sit down with David and there's the king at the head of the table and there's his, there's his wife or wives, not good, but there were wives and his sons and his daughters and then you would hear down the corridor, clunk, 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 Mephibosheth hobbling his way, perhaps with a stick or something, down to sit at the king's table. Now my point is this, if you come to Jesus Christ, you are in the innermost family gathering without delay. There's no examination you have to pass. There's no particular language you have to learn. There's no inspection of what you're wearing or, uh, or where you've come from or what your life's been like before. Come as you are. Come to him and let him work in your life. Let him, let him embrace you. Let him welcome you into the family circle. You belong. You are as favored and privileged as it's possible to possibly be. Let me say something else, though, even more precious, I think. By being the brothers and sisters and mothers of Jesus, it follows that we are brothers and sisters and mothers of one another. If he's my brother and you're his brother, then you're my brother. Uh, if he's my brother and you're his sister, then you're my sister. Yeah? If he's my brother and you're his mother, then you're my mother. I think that's about right, isn't it? By being intimately related to Jesus, we are therefore intimately related to one another. And here's a picture that I find very powerful and compelling that I want us to try and see in our mind's eye. I want you to imagine a giant wheel. A bike wheel, a cartwheel, you know, one of those great big wheels with spokes, thousands of spokes, all going to the edge and all meeting in the middle at the hub. Right? And that hub is the Lord Jesus himself. And we are, once we are believers in Christ, we are on the spokes. We are inside the wheel. We are on a spoke somewhere. But here's the point. 
as you move more and more to the center of that wheel, to the hub itself, not only are you moving more and more towards Jesus who's there, but you're moving more and more towards your brothers and sisters who are also coming to the center from these various directions. We are brothers and sisters already, but you know Brothers and sisters don't always act like brothers and sisters. And they can say, I'm right on the rim. I'm not going any further along my spoke. I'm staying here right on the outside. You don't need me to tell you. We live in a world of alienation and separation and suspicion and distrust. We live in a world where many, many people are isolated And lonely. We have a loneliness epidemic in our society. And I'll say this as well. This loneliness affects churches. Churches like this one. And there would be people in a church like this who would say, this church is full of cliques. Divisions. Little groups. In crowds. There's an in crowd. And I'm not part of the in crowd at Grove Chapel. And I say these things because it is a problem that the Bible recognizes. The church of Corinth was riven by division and alienation and in crowds. Is Grove Chapel free from such problems? Surely not. What do we do about it? Imagine a church where there is a recognition on the part of all the members that separation and division is a big problem. People just aren't talking to each other. If they are, they're shouting at each other. They're not mixing with each other. They're in little groups. They go their separate ways. There's no interaction between people. They're just little atoms bouncing about. And that is what society is like, isn't it? We were thinking this morning about traveling by tube or by bus. You know, this, this is a London phenomenon, but it's a, it's, it's a growing phenomenon. You get on the tube and people are, well, they're just, you know, there they are. And, you know, there's thousands of them in this compartment, but they're not looking at each other, not talking to each other. Somebody gets on and says, oh, hello, nice day. And people look at him as if he's some sort of terrorist, you know. He says hello to people. It's terrible, isn't it? But churches can be like that. What do we do about it? Supposing a church says, well, this is a problem for us. Let's, let's sit down and think about solutions then. Um, okay, I've got a solution. Let's all go paintballing. Let's all go paintballing. Oh, we'll have so much fun and we can shoot each other and in love, of course. And it'll be brilliant. We'll have so much fun and we'll have a lovely time at the end. We'll go paintballing. Solve every church's problems. Somebody else says, no, 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 no. Not refined enough. Let's go to a classical concert. Let's go to the proms. Let's listen to Borodin's um, The Steps of Central Asia, which is a wonderful piece of music. Listen to it. Does everybody want to do that? Oh, how boring. Rather go and hear Lady Gaga, whatever she's called. Somebody else says, well... I know what we can do. I mean, let's do something practical. Let's get together all up our sleeves. Let's go gardening. 
Let's dig the garden. Let's pull out the weeds. Let's, let's plant some fuchsias. Let's do that. Does everybody want to do that? Some say, oh, I hate gardening. I, I, I'm just, I've got two left hands. I haven't got any hands, really. They don't work. Let's, well, I don't know, we'll go to a rugby match. We'll, we'll have pottery lessons. We'll learn to speak medieval Italian. We'll, we'll, we'll just sit in a circle and chat. Oh, there's the solution. Let's just all sit down and have a conversation together. That's it, isn't it? We'll all just sit down and have a chat about our lives. And that will solve all the problems. But will it? Whoever. Whoever. And whoever includes some people who don't really like chatting very much. And you might say, well, they thought they should do. But they, people are different, aren't they? Whoever. Whoever. You see, the trouble with all of these proposed solutions is that they will not produce the family unity that God himself is encouraging here. They are all exclusive. They all exclude some and include others. One person loves gardening but hates rugby. Another person loves paintballing and hates classical music. And whichever way you look at it, one person just loves to sit in a crowd for eight or nine hours and chat and laugh and be gregarious. Another person is happy to do that for half an hour, but just needs their space and needs to go home and they get a bit peopled out, as we sometimes say, and that's fair enough. How do we build family unity? It's in the Word of God, my friends. Whoever does the will of God and comes to sit with Jesus and draw near to Jesus and comes together, together, a group like this, the gathered church, hearing the word of God, taking it in, learning the lessons, applying it to ourselves, saying, well, what can I do in my family? What can I do in my family? Well, I can start by loving my biggest and eldest brother the most, and his name is Jesus. And as I draw near to him and become more like him, I and others will become more like one another and we will resemble Jesus and people will say about Grove Chapel what they probably don't say right now, which is, look at how much they love each other. Maybe they do, but maybe they could say it more than they do. Couldn't they? Couldn't they? My brother, my sister, my mother. Nearly done. I just want to notice one more thing that I think is important in the words of Jesus. Do you notice again how he says, brother, sister, mother? Why those three? Obvious question, why not father? Well, Jesus reserves a very special place in his vocabulary for talking about his father, doesn't he? Who's his father? God is his father. So as to avoid any misunderstanding. He doesn't talk about father here. But notice this. In saying brother, sister, mother, our Lord Jesus observes and upholds the proper created distinctions between male and female and between generations. And so must we. Jesus does not say, all these people are my brothers. He could have said that. Elsewhere he says, I'm not ashamed to 
speak of your name to my brothers, to call them brothers. I will tell of your name to my brothers, he says, Psalm 22. But it's brother, sister, mother. Because there are proper distinctions of sex and age that in a family have to be observed. The way a 17-year-old lad speaks to his 14-year-old kid brother is different to the way he speaks to his mother, or should be. Or even to his 19-year-old sister, because she's a lady, and he's a gentleman, or should be such. We're queuing up for coffee, and uh, here's a guy in his 20s, and there's his pal, who's uh, two Christians in their 20s, and slaps him on the back. How are you doing, mate? How's your week been? That's very appropriate with two, two, two guys of that sort of age. You wouldn't do that to an 80-year-old woman in the church. How's it going, mate? Would you? <laughs> Don't try. It's inappropriate, isn't it? Jesus observes these distinctions and so must we in a world and age that says they don't matter anymore oh no they don't matter anymore sex gender well i choose my own gender not just male or female there's a hundred genders now apparently it's up for grabs anyone want to invent a new gender this morning well you're welcome to you see there's 101 now there's no limit is there this is the world we live in There's male and female. God created male and female. And then, generations. You shall rise in the presence of an older person. Gray hairs, they are the crown of the aged. They're a crown of wisdom. We should respect generational differences in a society that's all about appealing to the lowest common denominator and elevating youthfulness above age and experience the Lord Jesus says to us today when you come to me you come to a family and all my whole blueprint for the family from creation for Jesus is the Lord of creation these things are upheld and amplified and magnified in a family like Grove Chapel here we are This morning, I am your brother. You are my brothers and sisters and mothers. We are brothers and sisters and mothers to one another. I'm a brother to you far long before I'm ever a pastor to you. I could cease to be a pastor this evening. For whatever reason, I would still be your brother. The elders and the deacons and the Sunday school teachers and people with different titles, the evangelists and all the things we do, they are nothing compared to being brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ. But let me just repeat this once more. It's not about saying, hey, we're brothers and sisters, let's just all do something fun together. Well, let's do fun things together, absolutely. But what comes first is this. We sit at the feet of our elder brother, Jesus Christ who calls us his family. And we are transformed into the family likeness as his word and his spirit dwells in our heart and changes our lives from the inside out. That is what our Lord says to us this morning. Let's pray together.
we come because as with our Lord Jesus, so with us, we reserve the title Father for you, O Father, who call us your own. But we come to our brother and we say, Brother Jesus, thank you and praise you for receiving us, for being an elder brother to us, for being a brother who does not bully or tease or ignore or fight, but a brother who sticks closer than any earthly brother, who loves, who is the same yesterday and today and forever and who did that most wonderful act of love that a brother could ever show for brother in that he laid down his life for us. And only indeed by doing that, he can now say, you are my brothers and sisters and mothers. Oh Lord, let us respect the mothers and the fathers of this congregation, we pray. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And, O Lord, may the love that is given and shown in this congregation be a love that is pure and bright and attractive so that our love grows, so that we all move, as it were, further in along the spokes of that wheel to the very hub that we join to the hub and thus join to one another, the one body, the one household of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, do this work in us now and keep on doing it so that men and women and boys and girls all around would say, these people really do love one another. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.